going to turn together this morning uh, for our reading to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. We'll pick it up at verse 7. Uh, I love the, the writings of Paul. Uh, I love his view of Jesus, the grand scale view of Jesus that Paul often gives us. I love it when he gets into some of the nitty gritty theology that he loves to wrestle out about what it means to follow Jesus and in, in the world that he lived in, there's so much there. But I also love it when Paul kind of lifts the lid a little bit, drops the mask a little bit, and shows us who he is, and shares something of his own struggles. And perhaps he, he does it in many places, perhaps never more so than Romans chapter 7. He's writing about law and sin. So Romans 7, verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law, that's the law of God, the Old Testament, the first five books, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the Lord said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy And the commandments are holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For we know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to be good... Evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I am in myself, in my mind, I am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, 
a slave to the law of sin. Should we pray together for just a moment? Heavenly Father, as we gather here together today, the tension that we see expressed here beautifully and eloquently in Paul is something that we will have or will all experience of our desires and our habits being at war with one another. Even our, our minds and our bodies seemingly pulling in different directions. We recognize today, Lord, our need of you, Jesus. You will always be our savior. You will always have our heart. So Lord Jesus, we come to you today to bring you our lives body, mind, soul, and strength. And we just recognize, Lord, our, our need of you today. Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? Would you instruct us? Would you empower us? Would you correct us? Lord, we want this not to be our time with you, but your time with us. Lord, as we meet around your word and then come to this, your table, might we commune with you today meet with you in a real and a fresh way. And we simply pray, Lord, your kingdom, your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're beginning a, a series together as we launch into this brand new year together uh, called Habitat. And what we want to start to look at together uh, are those habits that form our lives. Some of those will be really healthy habits, some of those will be quite neutral habits, other those will be unhealthy habits. And it's that time of the year when we sort of start to make resolutions, isn't it? Perhaps you've made some already, perhaps you've broken some already, we'll take up gym memberships that we'll never use, we'll subscribe to magazines that we'll never read, we'll sign up to emails that'll just go in a folder somewhere, because it's hard, isn't it? Change is hard. Growth is, is not easy. Meaningful change takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. And kind of what we want to do in this series is to take some of what we did last year when we looked at the Apostles' Creed and thought about what it is that we believe and ask another question, what is it that we do with what we believe? Because faith without deeds is, is dead and nobody wants a dead faith. So what does it look like to walk in this faith? Uh, to live the way of Jesus. So we're going to be thinking about habits that really form a habitat uh, of our life together. Uh, some of you will recognize uh, this next face that will appear on the, uh, on the screen behind me, a good friend of mine, uh, who I seemingly talk about in every other sermon at the minute, uh, an incredible evangelist called Chris Duffett. And one of the things that Chris is so passionate about is equipping the church to share the love of Jesus. He wants to share himself uh, and what God has done in his life with, with others. And a couple of years ago, he was here for a whole weekend, uh, and uh, we did some training together. Uh, on the Saturday, we met together in the morning over in the center. Chris got to share a little bit, and I don't know if everyone knew this is what we were going to do or not, but uh, in our coffee break then and uh, just afterwards, we went out onto the streets and tried a little bit of, of it together, and it was incredible to do. Uh, what was interesting for me was, uh, while we were there, Chris suddenly said to me, uh, is there anywhere in the village that sells chocolate coins? So I said, uh, yeah, I, th I think there is, yeah. So we went looking for chocolate coins. He just had this idea that he wanted to give away some free chocolate and tell people about their worth uh, to God. To them, they were treasure that was worth finding. Beautiful little message. And so we went down into the village. 
managed to find uh, in Iceland, other supermarkets are available, uh, managed to find these chocolate coins. And then as we're queuing up, uh, him and I are chatting away about what we're going to do. And uh, suddenly Chris turns to the person behind us and says, um, can, I, can I buy your shopping for you? Now, I sort of froze and thought, Chris, that doesn't happen in Whitchurch. We don't talk to people in queues in Whitchurch. Chris, stop. Chris, stop. And so the guy sort of looks at him and says, oh, sorry, if, if you want what I'm buying, you'll have to go and get it yourself because I've taken a while to... So Chris said, no, you don't understand. I'd love to pay for what you're buying today. So the guy's tune suddenly changes. He said, oh, yes, that would, be, that would be great. And Chris just got talking to the guy. As it happens, uh, he was uh, just coming back from seeing the doctor, and he just had the all clear uh, after a cancer scare that had kind of haunted him, really, for the past few lives, uh, years of his life. And Chris said, it's so amazing that we've got to talk today, and I'd love to celebrate that with you. Uh, I'd love to pray for you. And I'm going, Chris, we don't, Chris, no, not in, we don't do that in Whitchurch, Chris. And there we were in the queue in Iceland, praying, just celebrating that this guy was free of this fear that had haunted him for so long. Uh, and then Chris began to talk about why we were buying chocolate coins and why he wanted to, to buy that stuff for the guy. And, and they're going, but Chris, we've got to get to the... And it struck me that I'm really good, I think, at projects. I love a, I'm a bit of a project junkie. I can sprint uh, new ideas. Man, I, the elders will tell you it's a nightmare for them just to juggle what I want to do this month. And I can sprint at a new idea, but Chris had a habit of just spotting one person and thinking, how can I bless this person? And it's not that I don't want to do that. It's just I'm not in the habit of thinking, God, who here do you want to speak to? Who here do you want to bless? And I bet there's all kinds of things in your life as well and in mine that we're sometimes we're not, not deliberately doing. We're just not in the habit of thinking that way. There are other habits that we're very much into, but there are some habits that we've just never thought about, we've never embedded uh, into our lives together. Uh, I came across this definition uh, of a habit. It's something that you do often and regularly, sometimes without knowing that you're doing it. So it's something you do often, it's something that you do regularly, sometimes without knowing that you're doing it. Why is it so difficult to stop biting your fingernails? Because you don't know that you're doing it. Sometimes it's only when you're halfway through your second hand, you suddenly think, oh, I was going to try and stop this year biting my fingernails. There's certain things out there we, we do without questioning. And this is good. This is healthy. This is part of life. If you and I woke up every day and had to think about every little minor decision, we would go insane. There's a reason why in the morning some of us will reach for our phone first thing that we do. There might be other healthy things that we could reach for, but we reach for our phone because something must have happened and I must know what has happened in my life. Others of us will, will reach for the kettle first thing. We won't ask, am I going to have a tea or a coffee? To, we just know. It, it's, kind of, it, it, it's a way of short-circuiting that thought process, isn't it? We just know what we're going to do, but by and large, in a given day. Some things we do without thinking about. Other things we've got to think about. You know, this year, if I'm going to get on the exercise bike and lose a few pounds and get a bit healthier, that's not going to happen by accident. I'm going to have to physically get myself onto the bike. 
going to physically get a bike to start with, but I'm going to have to do something. It's not going to happen by accident. By default, I do not grow. I grow by design. And change is hard because it means redesigning some of those habits that, that form our lives, some of those little jigsaw pieces that form our lives together. Uh, it's a little bit why when we go to a supermarket and we see all the, the brands that we could buy and all the different types of brands and prices and, and colours. For some reason, I've chosen a sweet aisle. I don't really know why. Perhaps that's a habit I need to, need to break. But we'll go for the same products, won't we? There could be something right next to it on the shelf that is amazing, but we don't have time to read every packet. And so we go for what we go for. We choose what we've always chosen. It's like when you order a Chinese takeaway and you take the menu out, look through the menu and decide, I think I'll order what I've always ordered and what I always have. We have these habits in our lives. Some of them we notice and some of them we don't. I wonder what the habits are that you'd love to be able to stop. Paul writes about those things that he hates. What I see myself doing, this is a strong word, both the English and the Greek, I hate what I see myself doing. So why does he keep on doing it? Because somehow it's a habit. Sin has got into what he says in this passage here, the members of my body. And the good that I want to do, the dream of who I want to be for God, for my marriage, for my family, for my church, my workplace, for my street, that person seems so far away. And I can't do that. See, if we're serious about growing in Christ-likeness, we have to get serious about our habits. And I know for some of us today, that word will sound very robotic or religious or ordered or stressful. But habits are, are there to make things more, um, to give freedom to things. You know, do you remember when you were younger and somebody tried to teach you how to tie your shoelaces? And you thought, yeah, but I know there are things out there with Velcro on that would save me so much time. And the struggle to tie a shoelace. And some of us have done that twice this morning without even thinking about it now. The struggle to learn to drive. Some of us now have got here with barely thinking about the process of starting the car and driving down and mirror signal maneuver and pulling up safely if you do all those kind of things. That's why when they decide you should drive at 20 miles an hour, it takes a long time. Because habitually we've been 30, 30, 30, 30, 30. And now we have to think. Some of us don't think that we have habits. But watch what happens when somebody uses your mug <laughs> or sits in your seat or has the TV when you want to watch something. Habits are inevitable. But it is beholden on us who want to grow less like our old selves and more like Jesus to notice these things. So part of what we're going to do in this series as we unpick this together is to be asking Holy Spirit, what is it that in this season, in this chapter of my life, you're looking to start and to stop? Sometimes in order to start something, we need to stop something else, don't we? I love this definition of wanting to grow in a habit without even thinking about it. I don't think Chris stood there that day uh, and thought, now what can I do 
Number one, to make John jump out of his skin, but to speak to this person, it was, it was just in him. The words were out of his mouth before I could even notice them. If every day you wonder, have I got time today to read my Bible? It's not a habit for us yet, is it? If through the course of the week we wonder, am I going to go to church on Sunday? It's not a habit yet for us. If Sunday comes and we wonder, am I going today? Or See, there are all kinds of habits in our lives, aren't there? There's personal habits, there's interpersonal habits, there's kind of seasonal habits as well. And there's also kind of what we might call priority habits, and then lesser priority habits. So last night we were flicking through the TV, there didn't seem to be anything on on the huge number of channels that we had, and we ended up, or I ended up watching, uh, the end of a film called Independence Day. Who's seen this film? One of the greatest movies of all time. Not one our men in the room, I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, but we, had, we didn't intend to watch it, but seeing as there was nothing else on, we ended up watching it. And some of our lesser priority habits can be like that, can't they? They're not a priority habit, but if I'm not doing anything else, I'll probably slip down to do this together. And some of those things need to raise up the agenda for us, don't they? Uh, raise up our, our kind of habit list. Because habits can also be described as embodied values. There's a whole bunch of things I think I believe. There's a whole bunch of things I say I believe. But if you really want to know how I think the world works, what I really believe, you have to look at how I live. The same will be true for you. Our habits embody our values. That's why it's a fascinating area of study for us and an area we need to, to grow in together. So I wonder if, just for a moment, you can think with me about some of the little pieces that make up your day. What have you done this morning already? Some of us have been thinking, yes, I've, I've done the doom scrolling thing uh, on my phone. Yes, I've done uh, the stick the kettle on and have some caffeine to give me a boost for the day. You put all of those things together, all those little chunks, and there's your day. You put all those days together, and there's your week. You put all those months, uh, weeks together, there's your months. Put all those months together, there's your year. And you put all those years together, and there's your life. A collection of habits. So let's take them apart and see what's good. Let's pop the hood and see what needs exploring. Uh, I was really moved last Sunday when we had the three voices sharing. Every single time we've done that, it's been such a blessing to hear different voices, experience, testimony, learning, coming out of the same passage together. Great to do that as a church together. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. We'll, we'll keep doing it occasionally. But this was the passage. Now, Paul has been writing to the church, uh, and he, he kind of builds up this sort of section where he keeps like, encouraging them. Let us do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. And towards the end of it, he adds one, let us not in as well. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I love the word consider there. It's not going to happen unless we consider it. Let's think about it. Let's be thoughtful about it. And then he adds a let us not in there as well. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some habits are good, some are not. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The answer is not discouragement, it's not the guilt trip people, but to encourage each other. Let's meet together. We don't feel complete without you. We miss it 
when you're not there, because we see something of Jesus in you. We need the story of what the Spirit is doing, and you be a part of this, because we need each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One habit that we've begun a couple of years ago here as a church is a book club together. So if you're free on a Monday afternoon and you like reading, uh, it's a great place just to engage with others. Uh, Some people who have been part of the book club, this might be triggering, I'm sorry if it is, but we read together this book, uh, The Divine Conspiracy, uh, by this uh, Christian thinker, writer, philosopher, uh, Dallas Willard. And I'll be honest, for all the books we've done, this was heavy going. Long, chunky sentences, and usually by the end of a page, you've thought, I need to read that page again because I wasn't paying any attention to it at all. My eyes went down and nothing went in. And it was that kind of a book, but it was kind of cram-packed full with these amazing things. And one of the things he writes about in the book is a curriculum for Christ-likeness. And he looks at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus breaks it down. The new way, the kingdom life, the way of God that we're welcomed into, a curriculum for Christ-likeness. Incredible words. Uh, And in that passage there, he writes these words. Very little of our being lies under the direction of our conscious mind. I mean, that alone just deserves a moment, doesn't it? Very little of our being lies under the direction of our conscious mind. The training that leads to doing what we hear from Jesus must therefore involve the purposeful disruption of our automatic thoughts, feelings, and actions by doing different things with our body. The purposeful disruption of the automatic. Somehow there needs to be a break in the system, in the cycle that leads me to where I've been before the sins, because each of us here will have different sin temptations. Mine will be different to yours. And from that come sin habits, sin patterns. And again, mine will be different to yours. And somehow to do what Jesus does to live this kingdom way is a purposeful, doesn't happen accidentally, disruption of the automatic thoughts, feelings, and actions, doing different things with our body. That's where it starts. Uh, I love the passage in Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's Deuteronomy 6 where God begins to tell them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he goes on to list these commandments that come after it, which are all about how we love God. And some of the detail there seems... So, so distant from where we are culturally, but it was all about weaving in, excuse me, into the fabric of our lives the love of God. So that when we're cooking, we're thinking about how God wants us to cook. When we're walking, we're thinking about how God wants us to walk. It was all about weaving the presence of God, the love of God into our lives together. And then later on uh, in Deuteronomy, he says, these commandments shall be written on your heart. Following God is a heart thing. But in order to get the commandments of God into our hearts, first I must direct my body. I must think about how I cook, how I walk, how I sleep, how I live. But the purpose of it is heart transformation. I do not believe that God sent his son into the world to give his life on the cross 
so that we could live slightly differently to the way we do now. He's after a total and utter heart transformation. Dallas goes on to say this. And then, through various intentional practices, we place the body before God in such a way that the whole self is retrained away from the habits of the old kingdom. In other words, spiritual formation is habit formation and habit reformation. We place our body, ourselves, before God. Retrain me, God. Rewire me which is not going to happen overnight. One of the interesting things about this time of year is January gets all these different names, doesn't it? I think it's Veganuary, is it? If you're going to try and be a vegan uh, for a month. Or there's Dry January if after December you decide you want to leave alcohol behind uh, for the first four weeks or so uh, of the year. And we try these new things, don't we? We need initiatives to try and try and do them. But the reality is so often those things can slip away. One of the struggles with habit forming is that grandiosity can be a big enemy to it. We can think, I'll just change everything overnight. Tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to have a 45-minute prayer session, which of course I know we all do anyway. But, uh, and we, we set these targets for ourselves, but sometimes the smallest transformation, one change at a time, is what will bring real healing and real change for us. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And that's a very clear picture, isn't it, of the human condition. He goes on to say, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Now, Paul is not trying to shift blame here. Paul is not trying to do that thing that we often did as kids when we were caught and just said, oh, they tricked me into doing it. But Paul is just acknowledging how sin can infiltrate. So before we've even thought about it, we've done what we did not want to do. These are these, these, are these habits. And Paul says, it, it's no longer I, it's this other instinct, it's this other habit that is working within me. He goes on to describe that in in various different ways. And he repeats what he says again. It's no longer I that do it. It's sin that's living in me. There's these habits, these instincts. What a wretched man I am, he says. Who will save me from this body of death? Because if if I live in sin, if I pursue this way, then death is not life-giving, is it? Death is at work within me. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's no longer I, he says, but this sin at work, but something else can come and be at work in my body, which is why when he writes to the church uh, in Galatia, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we begin this journey together? How do we move from where we are, from responding instinctively and habitually and naturally to what Paul describes here? Christ, live within me. I want to live by faith and and not by sight. I just want to say a quick word on, on habits before we launch into this series together. I mentioned earlier um, the book club on a Monday. We're about to start uh, a new book together at the start of 
uh, January. I've just left it somewhere. I was going to show it to you. It's a bad habit not to bring out what you need when you, before you come out. Uh, but the book is called uh, Every Breath We Take. It's written by a beautiful author I've only recently just become introduced to called Terry Wardle. And he writes about living in the presence of God and seeking to do those things that will make us aware in every moment. I'm in the presence of God. On a Sunday we come and we sing it, don't we? In every moment you are there. Hand of mercy, hand of love, bringing peace to me. But come Monday, come Tuesday, come Wednesday, we so easily forget that right there, right there and then, the hands of God, the presence of God are there for us. And that's the theme of the whole book. And he writes about picking up habits or, or spiritual practices uh, that will enable us to recognize this. And there's this lovely, lovely passage where he writes about a time in his life when his parents lived next door to his grandparents. Uh, and so for a lot of time, when he came home from school, he didn't go through his front door. He just went through his grandparents' front door. Uh, and he spent time with them. And he writes beautifully about how much he loved that home and their presence and their company and their advice, all, all of it. And you're kind of reading it wondering, why is he telling us about his grandparents? And then he says, I couldn't tell you anything about the door. I couldn't tell you what color it was. I couldn't tell you what size it was. But I can tell you what it was like inside. And he says, the spiritual practices are like that. That if we focus on the door, the what, the where, the when, and the how, we miss the point. And sometimes I think that is so true for us in our spiritual lives. That the point of reading the Bible is not to read the Bible. The point of reading the Bible is not to read the Bible. But to hear God speak. The point of coming to church is not to come to church. We come because when we gather, Jesus says, I'm, I'm in the midst. The point of talking to God is not to talk to God. There's a conversation, a flow, an empowering, an indwelling. Why would you not want to talk to someone you love? Sometimes we focus on the door, don't we? But all of these things are a doorway. They don't just come to bring us freedom, they come to bring us access to who God is. I can't get that excited about habits, I can get really excited about ways in which I can encounter the presence and power of God in and through and during this life in the body. Amen? I want us just to think for just a moment before we pray together and come to this table together about Jesus. One of the things that we'll do as we go through this series together is to hold up Jesus' life and then to hold up our lives and to see uh, where there needs to be more intentional alignment uh, with him. And one of the things that we read really early on about Jesus in Luke chapter 4 is that he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. The word custom in the Greek, let's have a guess together what that might translate as. Habit. Jesus had habits. That's pretty cool. And once a week, whenever he could, he'd love to meet with others. That must have been an incredible thing, to watch Jesus worship. To worship the Father. It must have been an incredible thing to watch Jesus listening 
to the law being read and the prophets being taught. We know it was an incredible thing to hear Jesus pray, and we'll come on to that in just a moment. But Jesus, see, had this rhythm to his life, something to grow. I know this is somebody who gets their heart checked out regularly. You need a healthy rhythm. Sporadic rhythms are not good for us, for our life and our health. Jesus had a, a rhythm, a, a habit of meeting with others. We read in the next chapter, another one of Jesus' habits was to withdraw. So he loved to worship with others, he loved to meet with others, but there were times when he recognized, I need to be on my own to meet with the Father. The word that we've translated there as lonely places actually literally means wilderness. Jesus was not lonely. He went to be with his Father. He sought out those places. That was his rhythm, his habit, to often find those places. Sometimes we think we're too busy to pray. We look at Jesus, he was too busy not to. Three years he had in public ministry. From the age of 30 to 33, what's he doing? He's often withdrawing to pray. And guys, if Jesus needed that. There's another passage where it talks about another one of Jesus' rhythms or places. I've often wondered this, perhaps you have as well. When the high priests want to arrest Jesus on the last week of his life, they need someone to take him, uh, take them to, 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 to know where he is. Judas, who's left the upper room to go and tell them, knows where he's going to be. How does he know where Jesus is going to be? Because Jesus had a place that he went to regularly, a garden. Jesus went out as usual. In the Greek, that word usual is the same as the word custom from the verse, uh, verses earlier. It was his custom. He had a place uh, where he went to. Uh, interestingly for Jesus, it's often outside. It's often on the mountains. It's often in, in the wilderness that he finds it easier uh, or better to, to connect with God. When, he, when these disciples, Jewish men who'd been raised to pray pray at home around the table, to pray in temple, to pray in synagogue, to weave this rhythm of prayer into their lives. When they see Jesus pray, they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They recognize that there was an intimacy, a freedom, a power, a flow with Jesus that they did not know. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them. So this is an insight into how Jesus Praise and how Jesus wants us to pray. Father in heaven always begins with relationship. Hallowed be your name always begins by recognizing the holiness, the otherness, the sacredness of God. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer somehow fundamentally is not about my will being done. not about what I want. God, your kingdom. Yes, Lord. Your, God, your will. Yes, Lord. Your will be done. Yes, Lord. You're higher, you're greater. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. The distance that the heavens are higher than the earth. Yes, so don't do what I want you to do. Your will be done. This was Jesus' habit. This was his rhythm. So much so that in that garden of Gethsemane, as he knows his time on earth, He's not just coming to an end, but he knows what that's going to mean. He knows what that's going to cost him. See, Jesus, who in his own habits had no sin, had no fault, 
had no failure, is going to go to the cross to offer his perfect life in exchange for mine and exchange for yours. And in that moment of going to the cross, he just prays, Father, if it is possible for this cup to pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is no longer I. And we see Jesus then, as the shoulders come, enter into that whole weekend with poise and grace and strength and dignity because the battle's been won on his knees. The silence from heaven gives him his reply. There was no other way. No one else good enough to pay the price of sin. Not my will. But Jesus prayed that when it mattered most because he prayed it regularly. He was in a habit of surrender. A habit of not I, not my, but you, but yours. I wonder if I can suggest a habit for us uh, for this coming week and then we'll, we'll pray as we come to this, the Lord's table. I'm sure all of us at some point this week, if we haven't done today and probably many times before we go to bed, we'll go to the kettle and boil it. Some of us get so busy in our lives that sometimes we boil the kettle, go off and do something else, and by the time we come up back to water's cool, we've got to boil it again. What if the next time we make a cup of tea or coffee for ourselves, we choose to stand by the kettle and wait? This will be a new habit for some of us. Wait. To be still and know that he is God. What if we were to take that tea and before we've necked it, before we've even drunk it, just prayed, God, is, I hold this mug today. You hold my life. And I need you more than caffeine. So fill me afresh. Speak to me afresh. Maybe even to ask, is there anyone today who could go through this day without celebrating with anyone that they've just got the all clear from cancer? Or somebody could be brave enough to notice them. Simply say, can I get that for you? It could change the world <laughs> with habits of grace. Will you pray with me for just a moment? <coughs> So let's just take a moment to be still. When we take a moment to still our bodies, our minds get that bit stiller. And as our mind gets that bit stiller, so our spirit can begin to still itself. And that place that Paul writes about in my inner being, that place that delights in God's law, gets to breathe. Lord, we thank you for this new season together. We thank you for this new series. 
we want to invite you, Jesus, to shape our lives together. Not to be shaped by habits, but to find habits that will shape us like you. Lord, maybe there are some old habits that you'd love us to rekindle today. Some old places that we've met with you that you want to invite us back to and back into. Maybe there are some new habits. But Lord, for each and every one of us today, I I thank you that Holy Spirit, you are present and you are speaking. Lord, as we think about these things, very often we can feel that horrible sense of guilt. That the good that we want to do, we haven't and can't do. The bad we want to stop, we haven't stopped and can't stop. And so I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy. And that just as your knowledge of us is full and complete, so your grace towards us, your mercy for us, Your love is deeper and wider and higher and broader than we could ever know. And so, Lord, as we look at our lives today, we bring them to the cross. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And yet here at the cross, I see that you love me.